Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to another installment of Show to Be with Mike G, the show of life, the show of John Carpenter, the show of Agave, the show of everything in between. Things are different now. It's been about five years since I started doing this show, and I really wanted to take the opportunity to do something just a little bit different. There was this concept in the FDR era, I believe, called the Fireside Chats, where the president he would sit down with the nation and talk about life. The nation's different. I don't want to talk about the president, but things are going to be difficult. And I wanted to invite some of my favorite people in the world to sit down and chat. And today, you know, we're going to start with one of my favorite people where it didn't actually start out like that. It started a little bit tumultuous, if you will. I thought that he hated me. And then he found out I liked Hellraiser and he looked at me, I think we're at a bar, we're going to talk about this moment, and he says, oh, now I know you're kinky. I don't know if that's true or not, but, <laughs> but <laughs> it was an interesting thing nonetheless. So I'm talking about Antonio Mata. You might know him from Shangri-La. You might know him up from Dallas. He's bartending up there as well. And a really good guy in to metal, in to agave, and into a lot of different Thanks. For years now, honestly, you know, I didn't know you're from San Francisco. You lived out there for a while. But the thing I wanted to really like hone in on first, you were working at the hostel in Dallas. You made the effort to come back down to Austin so you could work down here full time. And all of a sudden it was a hurry up and wait situation. So how are you feeling about the fact that you moved, you know, you were gone two, three days a week to work up in Dallas and then you come back and everything is at a halt. Uh, sure. I mean, you know, I went up there. It was always meant to be a temporary situation with Dallas. It was just kind of uh, consulting to kind of wrangle in some of the uh, loose ends there and then pass it off to someone I could trust, which I did with uh, former my friend Brandon, uh, Brandon Lurkhart. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but, yeah, I came back down here, and my big thing was I was working towards making a move away from being behind the bar and had gone through several interviews with a couple of different companies, and then everything got put onto a hiring freeze mm. for pretty much everybody across the board, which I understand. Uh, so that, that more than anything else, is incredibly frustrating to feel like maybe I had kind of gotten to a point where I was able to like move myself forward in what was becoming more and more clear to me, the direction that I needed to be going in. Um, yeah. So that was, that was a little frustrating. Um, and, I mean, to be fair, uh, I really don't... Like I love, I love Shangri-La and I love working there. Um, the owners are really cool people. Um, my coworkers are great. We have a cool bar family. And so it's cool to be, to at least have that. Like that's what I get to do. So no complaints there. Um, obviously with our current predicament, you know, they, they acted as fast as they could. They decided to close down our bar family. So Shangri-La, Liberty and Grackle so that they could file all the paperwork with the state immediately so that when any of us applied, there's yeah. no contest, there's no 
this tape doesn't have to have any, any questions. They literally look at our stuff, go, okay, cool. Yes, they said you're even laid off and get us through as fast as possible. So I, that's, again, one of those things I like about them a lot. That well, they that's what I think that's a really interesting move, and I think it speaks a lot about a company that cares about its folks, right? So they see potentially there's going to be this massive layoffs. There's going to be potentially something that keeps them out of business for a quarter a quarter or more, and they're like, you know what? We actually really care about y'all. We're going to get ahead of this and make sure that you guys are covered because apparently yesterday, right, there were over a million calls into the unemployment line because it's like roughly the first of the month. So just for you, and you don't have to divulge whether or not you're on unemployment or not, that's not really important, but like, you've, are you feeling it with your friends? Or just people are kind of, there's the pressure, there's the tension. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, as much as, you know, it's funny, it's like most communications obviously via text message or people hop on like a FaceTime or uh, uh, Facebook chat or a house party, whatever it is. Um, and a lot of the first questions that people ask is, you know, how are you doing? How are you holding up? Which, I mean, I get it. You know, it's it's a lot of stress for a lot of people. Um, I personally kind of been taking the approach of I can only be so uh, freaked out about the things that I can't control. Right. Yeah. So for me, it's been about focusing on daily life, um, just trying to do those basic, you know, routines for myself. So like, like, no, I don't shower every day, but I have showered almost every day and, like, being bothered to, like, shave and trim and, you mm-hmm. know, get put on pants and, you know, try and leave the house as much as humanly possible because those Do are you, within my control, you know? For, for sure. Do you find that – so I have structure. I, I hate to say it, but for lack of a better term, I have, like, a nine-to-five, right? Now I was going out and stuff, but do you find that that bartender schedule is carried over and you're waking up even though you don't have – you could wake up at eight. Because I texted you the other day, and you were up at like 8.30. I was like, well done, 8.30. I didn't think, <laughs> think you could be up. But is that carried over, that kind of schedule, that, you know, that the routine itself? Not as much. The first couple of days were a little screwy, for sure. Uh, mind and body were definitely freaked out more than they are now. Yeah. Um, not as clear as to what was happening. And, you know, I think it was more prone to, to substance abuse in that juncture, you know, just drink a lot and uh you know it was like you know that withdrawal off my sleep schedule but since then i've kind of stabilized more like i said just doing those things for yourself to just be more mentally and physically healthy uh Mm -hmm. to help kind of diminish some of the effects of the stress uh, that might otherwise drag us down a bit more um so i have been turning in earlier you know it's, it's it's almost as if without you know the structure of a job telling me when to wake up and go to sleep I'm almost more back to a uh, to a more caveman era of like <laughs> what it is that you know the sun dictates when we are awake and when we're asleep. You know, you're not lighting a fire in the living room, are you? Just like gr- grabbing wood and twigs out of the front and just kind of putting them in the loft. You aren't trying to discover the wheel or anything. You're talking not that kind of stuff, right? I mean, the, the fires in the living room are more for roasting goats uh, in our satanic rituals. Now that's on brand, Antonio. That's a very on brand statement. (laughs) Absolutely. Roasting goats, baby. Speaking of, uh, I'm going to go ahead and uh, catch up right now. I'm going to do a little shot of this guy right here. Ah, there goes Cimarron. Yeah. I'm going to start off with just simple, delicious, well-made tequila. Well, I guess because this is partially exhibitionism, you know, this mezcal from Emilio, which I think you've got a bottle of Mazonte back there too that you're going to sip, but Marado and Vidro, so this has been in 
in glass for some time. But you know what? Here's the thing. So I've been at a crossroads. It's been dichotomous for me, right? Because I want to still make us all feel connected, but physically we can't be near each other. Now, this is something that's very strange because out of the times I see you in a month, I probably text you 10 times more than that. But I always take for granted. I just expect that I'm going to run into you. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's a different kind of thing. And so now we have to make time to kind of be together. And so because we're here together, this Instagram live, and then this episode will go on tomorrow, I wanted to focus on different stuff, right? I'm always talking about the industry and that's fine, but lots of people are hurting. So I wanted to talk about stuff like getting drunk, you know, I want to talk about stuff like <laughs> horror movies, music. And so something, that, so in other words, everybody that's tuned in right now, if you don't want to hear about horror movies or things that scared us shitless as a kid, you might want to stop off. <laughs> but also, I saw there's a couple of Andres from, from Sombra's on, you know, there's going to be some talk of some metal too. So this is, we'll try to entice you both ways to stay tuned. But so here's here's the thing. When I first met you, and I mentioned this kind of before you hopped on, but <laughs> this, <laughs> this, <laughs> this is all different now, mind you. This is a different a different thing. I thought you were gruff. I thought you were unapproachable, not warm, you know? And that all quickly faded once we started talking about horror movies for some reason. So, and I seldom do this, but what did you think of me when you met me? Because um, obviously we were at odds with each other. I, I, I don't, I don't <laughs> particularly feel that way uh, okay. about you. Um, I mean, I know that like I can, you know, I, my moods vary, you know, I, I, I said I was like a consistently this way kind of person all the time. I would be lying. Um, I definitely have my more gruff days and you know, I have my kind of rougher edges and I have my smoother side too. So like kind of depending on the day, unfortunately, but uh, that said, uh, my memories of you were always, you know, uh, it was usually, you're usually around Charles. So it was like two of oh, you yeah. kind of, you know, was, I enjoyed listening to you guys talk about your passion for your spirits. Um, mm. And, you know, I was always, you know, interested in hearing what you guys had to say in that regard, because that's, you know, kind of what I think the easy point of relation for anybody, you know, that bridge is automatically built in within our industry. Um, sure. As much as far as like personal relationships went, obviously, yeah, you're right. It didn't get much further along until, you know, we really started getting into the personal things behind that front that we usually share with each other. You know, again, that yeah. bridge of, of booze and, and bars and those kind of things that it's easy, you know, like it doesn't matter who you are. We can sit there and talk about bars all day, but until you get into what somebody's about, what drives them more in their day to day, what were they like before they even got into the bar industry? You yeah. know, those are the things that, you know, that's, that's where you make your really, really strong friendships. I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not homies of the people that I know from the bar world, but getting to those other layers of them that are not bar related. Um, you know, for me, having grown up a musician, music is obviously, you know, a huge thing. Obviously mm -hmm. I'm a metalhead, but like, I also love, I love hip hop a lot. And, you know, that was something that drew Rashid and myself together a lot. And it's something that I, like, I knew, but I talk about a lot, you know? Sure. Do you, do you have, so, cause we could say that metal makes sense, but who is the saccharine sugary pop artist that you're like i kind of really like it not that i followed it down a hole well enough to really know much in the way of songs 
And actually, the thing that made me pay attention to him was uh, the band Dillinger Escape Plan did a cover. Um, <laughs> but Dillinger's That's a roundabout way to, like, get to... It's, it's like making an excuse for it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, no, but I mean, I, I would say that uh, Justin Timberlake. Yeah, okay. I mean, Which the guy, he plays, he writes his own music, he plays his own instruments. You know, the dude's got talent, and yeah. if you like it or not, he's charismatic and he's funny, and, you know, his sketches on SNL made me kind of look at him and go, okay, like, there, there's, there's more to this than just, you know, some sort of uh, pop star. But, like, you know, and again, that was definitely, you know, Dillinger Escape Plan did a cover of uh, The Way You Do. Which is it's like a verbatim cover too. I can't. You realize like this is a puzzle. I can't even imagine. I don't even understand how Dillinger Escape Plan could articulate Justin Timberlake. But you know what? Did it make it easier because they introduced you to him, or would you come around? It's not no pun intended. Come around, come. But would someone if someone else if someone else had mentioned it, would you have actually stumbled upon Justin Timberlake, or took metal to like somehow affirm it? Okay, actually, so funny. Uh, I am uh, you know, from from back in uh, when I kind of went to college. Uh, friends with these guys, they're they no really anybody's in the band anymore. But they're in a metal band called uh, Devil Driver, and mm-hmm. uh, homies with them for years. And I toured with them in Europe. I just happened to be kind of around, so I hopped on the bus and ended up doing merch because they like bandmate what got sent home because it's a drug out of mess and all this stuff. So I ended up on tour with them a bunch, and it's really funny. We'd be like in the green room or on the bus or whatever, and hanging out. And like they did listen to as much metal as like hanging out as I thought they would. <laughs> so like legitimately, I put on Opeth one day in the green room, and uh, and you know they play a song like, oh, yeah, man, that's a great track." But yo, like, uh, let me take, uh, let me take, you know, pass the mic or whatever. And uh, my buddy puts on Britney Spears. I received the top eight year off about how Britney Spears is this genius, and I was like, okay. Not what I expected to see out of, you know, my dudes yeah. are in this, like, like heavy-ass, just, you know, basically, like, kind of modern death metal band. I was like, all right, guys, sure. But, you know, in that sense, that all those things, those are the dynamics that build into somebody and give them more creative ability and reach to be able to, like, write more stuff than just, yeah. you know, just this one genre of, uh, of music, so. So, I... I actually don't know the answer to this. I'd have to guess, which kind of makes me sad a little bit. But you're, what do you play again? Uh, I, I grew up playing guitar most of my life. Okay. Um, started with the violin, and when I was really, really young, and then switched over to guitar about seventh grade, and mm. started playing in bands in high school. Um, most of which were absolutely god awful. And if anybody, I don't think anybody's on here watching that, but if you heard one of my bands in high school, I'm really sorry. Um. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, I went to college in Santa Barbara, and I met a bunch of folks, started playing in bands there, uh, moved back to San Francisco, played in bands uh, there. And somewhere along the line in SF, I started playing bass uh, with the band that I was with for a long time called Form and Fate. And um, I really enjoyed the challenge of the bass. Uh, it, 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 it took my drummer, Russ, who's a really good friend of mine, to sit me down and be like, hey, you need to not play to the guitars as much, like listen to the melody of that. But listen to what I'm doing, or, or you know, think about the options of how the bass can yeah. change the entire vibe or feel of a song yeah. against what the guitars were doing. And that, when I kind of clicked in with that that thought process, it got a lot more interesting for me. Um, I, I think that became this new way of looking at how I wrote and played music that expanded me a lot. So I, I play both now. Um, When's the last time you picked up the bass? 
Oh, good. So you're still you tracking it all? I mean, so here's a question. So I tuned my piano, restrung the guitars, fixed the input on my one hollow body, whatever. Like I'm getting real productive. Are you finding yourself drawn to music more now that you have and I have nothing but time on our hands? Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, I, I it's kind of funny. I stopped playing music when I moved to Austin. Um, I didn't move to Austin to get into the music scene. I thought I, you know, figure I'd fall in with some of the more metal bands, but I didn't find those until recently. Um, yeah. So I came to work on you know the bar and street career thing because I kind of saw a lot of opportunity. And this is you know when I moved here eight years ago. Um, so my guitars all sat around and I just pick them up occasionally and noodle around and really not do much. But since this is all started, I have restrung both of my guitars, uh, got out my line six pedal board so I can play with like my headphones in line six. I knew it. I knew you had line six, either no, no, a bass no, no. pod or guitar sir, pod or something. Sir, sir. <laughs> uh, that was an option for me to be able to play, uh, at, at home, you know, living in a, in a flat with other people in San Francisco. I mean, you know, I've got, I've got a bunch of tube amps and all that stuff. So, uh, um, yeah. you know, I, I definitely much prefer the, the, uh, analog sounds. Sure. Okay, so can I ask you then, because I can keep this light. I was I, The whole time before we started to do this, I said, should I go that serious Dan Rather, Terry Gross route, or should I go Howard Stern? And so I'm going to go more Howard Stern for the levity element here for, for everybody. Are you softening in your old age? Because I suspect you are. It's it gets tough. Yeah, it does. I I give a fuck, but like I realize that I don't I'm a I'm a troublemaker. That's what I that's one of the things I realized. We've been doing these mescal happy hours on Mondays. That I'm not talking shit, but like I just wanted to rile people up a little bit. Like, what do you guys think about this? And so for some reason I'm getting more like that. And I don't know why. Maybe I acted I maybe I couldn't act out on it as a mid thirty year old. I'm not exactly sure. But something, and actually, Benitez joined. This is great. I'm glad that he's here. Same with Josh Hendricks. There's some pros that have hopped on here. Anoop's on here. Prisado's on here. I mean, if we're all drinking, you guys, if you're sipping something, as well as Simon just joined, if you guys are sipping something, post it. We'll talk about it. And Tony and I, we coordinated which mezcal to drink if it gave you any question of how exactly. So I'm going to go one more chapter, then we'll go to Agave. But I remember seeing texas chainsaw massacre for the first time in 97 i think and i was in texas i was in katy texas for any of you out there listening that have been to katy texas at the time in the 90s you know pretty much a bunch of goat fuckers now why i say that (laughs) is because in in the student manual i came from the midwest or rather i came from the the, like the, the south southwest and i came and i read the manual in 1997 for katy high school and it was like hey I'm paraphrasing. Don't fraternize with the farm stock, please. That was actually in the handbook. So 
I was scared shitless the first time I saw Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It was like a real threat, potentially. Right? And that was the movie that first made me... Well, now there's stuff before that. I was watching horror movies. But that one is when I kept my windows closed and looked over my shoulder when I was riding home. So, you and I have this massive predilection towards horror movies. What is it for you? What was that movie you're like, oh, fuck, I feel uneasy. <laughs> I don't know why, but I certainly don't feel good. Um... I, you know, I, I think the pinnacle horror film for me that made me really look at the genre was uh, Return of the Living Dead, which is funny. Return of the Living Dead. Yeah, 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 which is funny because, you know, it's kind of a parody on the genre. Yeah. Uh, but kind of. It is 100% a very tongue-in-cheek take on the genre of zombie movies in general and, you know, horror as, as a whole thing. Um, you know, I, I grew up on a... I grew up on a street that was like a half circle in a town called mill valley in the bay area and uh there was you know the cool dad on the block steve who would let us all crash in the house you know and uh steve just let us do whatever we want you know he, he wasn't like not like we're not running around playing with spears or something stupid like that but you know let us sure. he put up not lord of the flies by no means was it lord of the flies right yeah um <laughs> but you know he was definitely like he played he was a cool dad who let us watch a bunch of horror movies you know and so i got to see a lot of things and some of which I remember, like, some of them, if you played them for me, I know I would catch it in a second and be like, oh, nice. my God, that was that movie. But it was Return of the Living Dead that got me. Um, they got me freaked out and being like, you know, there's a cemetery pretty close by. What yeah. if, you know? Uh, Did you, so, you know, that's the one with Linnea Quigley, right? Yeah. Yeah. Do you know she had, because, all right, so I'm just, I can go there. No one's going to shut us off. I believe because she curated her genitalia so tightly i'll put it that way womanscaped it if you will she had to wear do you know this she had to wear a vaginal implant on top because she was pretty much nude for you know 20 minutes of the movie or whatever yeah, did you know that here, yeah yeah that it was a prosthetic vagina in return of the living dead isn't that crazy that is that's that's hilarious uh, yeah stupid knowledge that i may or may not have cool <laughs> <laughs> I, I appreciate uh, appreciate knowing that now. Um, yeah, because I mean, it's funny that that was definitely one of those, you know, uh, interesting early introductions to foreshadowing for me. Yeah. Uh, wow, yeah. You know, she talks about when she get when she's they're all hanging out in the graveyard. And she talks about you know she's getting naked. And she's like, my worst fear is being surrounded by a bunch of uh, you know being surrounded by a bunch of old men and having them like eat me and shred take me apart. And that's how she ends sure. up. Um, yeah, you know, that was, again... Foreshadowing. Was, yeah. What a bitch. Yeah. Seriously. It's a, it's yeah. a, it'll get you every time. It gets Brutal. you every time. Brutal. So, okay, going to more recent, even though it may be in a movie that's older, but something you've seen recently, anything kind of move you or make you think about the genre differently? It, I think it's interesting seeing how you've had different kinds of motions with horror. So, yeah. you know, you had the kind of era in which someone like Eli Roth came out with Hostel and that was a huge impact and pushed a lot of horror in the direction of like what people called like torture porn mm -hmm. um, it's it's less of a chance to run away from a slasher for example or you know a psycho killer and more of just this thing where it's like yeah you're gonna get tied to a chair and have your teeth pulled out and your knees smashed with a sledgehammer yeah, and all these stuff horrific things you know um, a little more grueling i would say right uh, getting your fingernails pulled out i'd rather be stabbed in the gut frankly yeah yeah um it was that 
uh, Japanese flick audition that's just oof, oof. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's hmm. like, like, like having you know a lot of horror movies. Is the slasher things, which I was raised on. That was my favorite genre for sure. You know, there's there's a sort of a comical aspect to a lot of it. Um, yeah. And then with a lot of modern horror, you know, some of the torture stuff, like I said, that makes you kind of a little squeamish, kind of cringe, make you want to look away a little bit. And also then you throw yeah. in like, you know, Saw uh, or uh, where there's a creative aspect to it. So Saw or like Final Destination, um, whereas there's huge, it's, um, I'm brain farting. What is the name of the, the, the thing where there's a trap and you set up one thing and it sets up another thing to set up another like the thing? The mouse trap thing? Sure. They're, yes. Yeah. 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 Over yeah. Um, that those kind of crazy. Are you saying I oversimplified it? Is that what you just said? I oversimplified a whole genre. I mean, I, I meant the actual term because there's an actual word for it. It's, it's the name of a person. Uh, oh, I don't. Yeah, I don't know what that is. Yeah, I'm brain farting that. So, sure well, so I, I do want you. I want to. This is funny because we got Andy Maurer. You know, he's in California. He moved his Texan. Got a lot of great people on the line. We're going to talk about Agave next. But for those of you that are here, that you are Liz Forsyth Destroying, that are here listening along, Hanging out, can you share a horror movie that really made you feel uneasy? Now, if you don't watch that, that's fine. Bombshell, I saw that recently. That's pretty unnerving. <laughs> so <laughs> there are other kinds of flicks like that. Uh, but share that with us, and we'll, we'll cover some of this stuff along, and I will try to conduct through this conversation with your interaction, which is good. So you pulled out a bottle of Mazonte. Yeah. And I just talked to Pedro. I hope to have him on Instagram Live as well, which would be great. So let's take a sip of Mezcal. One of the things that we also bonded on after the horror movie. So tell me which bottle you picked there. Sorry, I'm looking at people's choices here. These are some great <laughs> killer clouds. Oh, yeah. Bone Tomahawk, man. Bone Tomahawk. Spoiler alert, getting cut in the groin. And split yeah, in that, that, that was... The the noises oh. that it made, man. That mm. was oh god. Like you could cover your eyes, but you still had to hear it, you know? Oh my gosh. Andy Killer Clowns from Outer Space, I get you. That tone's real strange. That movie's got a real strange strange tone. Yeah. Children of the Corn. Josh, I'd actually never seen Children of the Corn. I know it's adapted from a Stephen King book. Martyrs, I still haven't seen. I couldn't get a good stream because there's a dubbed version. Right, it's mm. a French movie. I wouldn't dare watch the dubbed version. Eraserhead from Martin. Martin is it? pretty gnarly. There's some, there's some pretty rough cringeworthy stuff in there. Yeah. Yeah, mostly because it's in French, and that's pretty cringeworthy. Um, yeah, the, the French are corn, terrible. Children. Ugh, gross. Ugh. <laughs> so, okay. Francisco Terrazas, too, just joined, which is great. We're now starting to talk about agave. So, again, if you were super stoked on horror, we're going to shift yet again here and share this beautiful bottle. What, what you got there, Antonio? All right, so this was my first trip down to uh, Guadalajara in 2000, I think it was 18 I went down there. Um, went to Mizonte and did the whole thing with Pedro. He mm -hmm. like, walked through a bunch of different stuff. And so this is by uh, Emilio uh, Vieira mm -hmm. um, with Agave Alto, which is, you know. In Aquitans, right? In Aquitans, it's like a really low-yielding agave. They grow pretty big, and from what I understand, they make pulque out of it. Okay. Um, this guy was a 300-liter batch, which you're saying that's a small-yield small, small plant, 300 liters. It's a pretty decent yeah. amount already. Um, yeah, it is. This is from 2017. Um, 
super cool. Uh, you know, like I said, I went down and uh, I was just going to uh, I was just going to Guadalajara to go check it out. Um, and you know, my friend suggested that I go hang out with Pedro, meet him, and do that whole thing. And he showed me so many cool things. You know, the the photos that he has of these different means of distillation that people have been doing for a long time that are, you know, uh, I don't want to call it primitive because that's kind of diminutive, but like it's it's very very uh, it's 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 just so of the earth that how they pull things together using like tree trunks and wooden bowls. You know, I mean, yeah. it's crazy. Um, so yeah, it was really cool to have that experience. And you know, the way that he talks about it, obviously, his passion level is definitely something else. So yeah, he's the one of the kindest, most intelligent, most down to earth guys I've ever met. And he's probably I would feel feel like he's one of the best conduits into agave that anybody could. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you had a guy that's like gonna shake your hand and bring you into an open house for, I don't know, a condo or something, like Pedro is like the best guy for that. But so going back to your journey with agave, we won't talk about, but I won't talk about the brand. But there's there's a gig that you're hoping to maybe get here in Texas, which would be a great opportunity for you. But what was something, or was it Mazonte that you experienced with agave, and you're like, oh sh- shit, I really need to look into this. I need to taste more. I need to experience more. Um, my first, you know, I, I'd say my first like real, real would have been with, um, you know, I definitely tried a couple of tequilas that I really dug, um, mm. uh, Los Chamucos, um, was definitely one of them, but it was, you know, I was, I was working at Bar Agricole in San Francisco and I knew, oh, yeah. and I knew absolutely fucking nothing about what I was doing there. I was a barista long before, and, you know, for a long time before I ended up behind the bar, um, and I was working there. Somebody got promoted from bar back to bartender. I kind of didn't want to take the bar back position, but their ultimatum was basically, if you're not growing, you're dying. Yeah. AKA take the job or get the fuck out of the way because it's obviously that place, um, you know, that, that, that position in a beverage situation for them is obviously a means to get behind the bar at Agricole, which is uh, great, a, you know, an incredible program with a lot of knowledge there. But um, my personal mentor there was this guy, uh, Craig Lane, um, who I occasionally communicate with, I'll send him a text, I'll get a response back from him like six months later, because he just is, he is, he's a very, very analog human. He does, he does not mm-hmm. like the digital world by any means whatsoever. Um, text what? What? Messages? What? What? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's all, just, just call me like, just call me on the rotary. <laughs> call me on the rotary phone. It's fine. Um, you got a pigeon, right? Just send it my way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, he poured me a uh, chichicapa, you know, and mm. That, you know, I'd never even heard of mezcal. I, and I was, you know, we were we were working at the end of the night, cleaning everything up, and I was putting some bottles up, and he asked me, you know, what, uh, you know, and I asked him a question, but I was like, oh, what, what is this, this green bottle here? I have no clue. And he was like, oh, yeah, it's, it's mezcal. And, you know, got a decent little look at it. And, uh, you know, he kind of touched on what it was and gave me a pour, and I was intrigued by the flavors and the tastes. Because at that yeah. point, with agriculture, I had already gotten my introduction to agricole rums obviously um which the weird variety of flavors that come through in agricoles definitely caught my palate and i thought that was a good primer for getting me into mezcal because they both have that like super green vegetal in the same neighborhood different houses right yeah definitely and you know it's it's great to you know the fact that we're kind of in a different era right now temporarily a lot of folks saying things are going to change and all of that but so i'm i'm happy to see 
Patrick Ruby joined on his provocative posts of Daisy Dukes. That's what keeps me afloat some nights. Uh, <laughs> Aaron, <laughs> Aaron Ashford from Olamay just joined too. You know, like everybody's here and we're kind of rallying together. So kind of taking, I got a couple more questions for you, but taking this time off, we'll call it, some people call it being furloughed. There's another term for it too, where you kind of go on a break and you just kind of figure stuff out. Sabbatical, thank you. So this is a forced sabbatical. And tell me two things that either you have done or that you want to do in terms of new skills or new schemes that you want to acquire as you've got all this time off. Uh, I have decided I really want to learn how to maintain bikes. Uh, I got this bicycle from a friend of mine for very, very cheap. And it's, it's in great shape, but it needs a little bit of work. And I had to do a couple of different things with that one. And same with, uh, same with Aubrey's bike, too. So I figure, you know, I like working with my hands, which is a big part of being a bartender that I really miss. Um, yeah. That it, I'm, I'm sitting here, you guys can't see it, but I'm fidgeting with my hands because I don't know how to not. So something to occupy my hand that has, like, a really, really a physical aspect to it that's not just, you know, typing on a keyboard because that only does so much, you know? Um, sure. So, yeah, really so you got it. Okay. Uh, Fixing bikes. That's great. I've yeah. tried to, I learned how to solder just to offer one up, which is crazy. I never thought it would. And I burned myself, but that's to be expected. I think sure. Sure. what else, another skill, maybe you're not there yet, but what's something else on your roadmap you'd love to learn how to do? Um, man, it's, it's funny. It's like, with all of this scenario, trying not to make it like a New Year's resolution. You know? Right. Yeah. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this because I know that you try and set up too many things and make. I don't, don't want to put too much pressure on where there's already a lot of pressure. Um, mm-hmm. There's just an invisible pressure that we're all feeling right now, you know? So I feel that adding it by saying, I definitely want to do this, I definitely want to do this, feels like a bit much. So the bicycle thing was something I decided I definitely want to know how to do. Um, would like to relearn how to manage and maintain my guitars better um, because I used to do all my own work on my guitars and I seem to have forgotten how that works. So I have mine up yesterday. I was like, what in yeah. the hell is this stuff? Um, There's a spare wire. Why is there a spare wire sticking out of my guitar? Yeah. YouTube has been exceptionally helpful, I think. Absolutely. These times. Yeah. 100%. So, um, yeah. No, please. Yeah, good. It's kind of the main part of it all. So I got a couple questions left. We got Chris Dempsey from Mesco Vago, Samson Surrey that just joined Pam as well. Pam Wisner. Sir. I mean, this is this is good. I feel very honored to have such a really wide swath of folks joining us to hear about these random things. And so you're going to drink rum agricole. Is that right? That's what you're going to do right now? Correct. I'm going to drink a Nissan. Uh, the old Nissan, uh, which is also, I think the second agricole rum I ever had, if not the first. Uh, yeah. They have the Elevé Soubois, which is, you know, uh, I never thought of, you know, at that time again at agricole, I never thought about the idea of having a really good barrel-aged rum, but turns out, yeah. you know, with, uh, with, with what Neeson has done, I mean, it's, this, is, this is just incredible. I don't want to mix this with anything, you know? Yeah, it's incredible. There's a question out here, you know, from the audience saying 
Hey, what's going down, y'all? Miss all of your faces. There's no way anyone missed my face. They hardly ever saw it. Now you, on the other hand, how do you feel? We we think, I've flipped this question a little bit. We always think about seeing other people, right? Like, we're, I'm going to go out, I'm going to be social, I'm going to have a little moment, finally unwind or whatnot, because that, that refills me personally. That's why this is actually really helpful to me. But do you ever think about being seen versus going to see people? Do you think about the fact that you go out and people want to see you? I mean... I am kind of a Paris Hilton like that. Uh, I thought so. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, you know, it's it's kind of part of the thing with being a bartender, um, at especially at a, you know, especially a place like Shang or whatever. I mean, like where we we have such a heavy crowd of regulars, and you know, I had a friend of mine ask me a while back, you know, on one of my Facebook posts about working shift. He was like, "Can you actually quantify a sort of a metric?" to explain why you're always posting this garbage. And I was like, actually, I fucking can, dude. Because realistically, man, <laughs> like, you know, especially in a town like Austin, man, holy crap, we're like, you know, take, pick a place, man. You know where there's so many options of places to go to? Like, yeah. what makes you decide you want to go to a place? Like, I know that, like, for example, I very rarely straight up crave a cocktail. When I do, it's usually a martini. Okay. And so my brain is hardwired to, I want a martini from Small Victory. That's my place. That's you know where what? I go for a martini. Laura was on here earlier. I don't know if she still is, but I feel you. That's, that's where I would go. You know, I've never, ha I've never had an affair, Antonio. But if I was going to have an affair, I would go to that bar. Sure, sure. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's, it's dark and swanky and, you know, it's got, right. all, it's got all, the, all the sex vibes going on, you know. Um, it does. No, I mean, you know, so I, so I, if I want to, if I want a martini, that's like my vibe, you know, and if you're looking for, you know, each, each bar unto itself as an entity has its own appeal. Yeah. But a lot of the times, you know, those, that appeal is based on who is behind the bar, you know, what, what kind of, cause you know, you help curate the vibe in that space. You know, you, you kind of direct people into each other or you're, interacting with people in a certain manner that creates, you know, this, this episode people want to be a part of. So yeah. in the sense of like thinking about being seen in that particular verbiage, no, but like in the sense of, I am aware that I am, I am the, the face of this establishment at this time when I am, you know, the, at, at the helm. So and yeah. that, absolutely, you know, and I think that's an important thing to note, you know, we, I, cause I don't experience, I'm behind the scenes in a lot of ways. So it's a little bit, different for me but that energy you miss the energy does it refill you uh it does both um yeah I, I i think to oversimplify it down to certain terms i would say that i am an extroverted introvert mm -hmm. um when i run out of gas man it's happened to me during shifts and it's just the worst because that i'm just like running not even on fumes but i'm like my body and my brain are trying to recoil <laughs> from the general public and you're like hey you still have two hours of this so you better buck up um yeah but in a way yeah it does um this has been an interesting experience of being like having that whole synergy removed from my life completely um and do specifically use the word synergy because it is that that thing between myself and my customers and our yeah. exchanges and the space that i'm in being behind like the bar at Shangri-La, for example, in particular, the way it's that kind of roundabout, it does create a very certain energy that you 
put into certain directions. And uh, to me, that that is a valuable experience, and and I really enjoy it. Um, so yeah, there's that. There's all of those components that go together. But having that taken out of my life and seeing how that's kind of affected me, and like realizing, yeah, I absolutely miss bartending. Mm-hmm. But again, as I also said, I'm kind of pushing away from that a little bit. So. I've also found that by busying myself with a lot of other mental activities, it's been kind of like, okay, what if this isn't a part of my life anymore? How do I deal with it with my extra time that I'm not up at late hours all the time for you know, the purpose of being at work? You know, How do I deal with all of that? And is it okay with me? And I think that that's something that I'm actually kind of okay with now. So, Yeah. Well, I've got, so I've got three questions left for you. And Catherine Secor of the Scotch Lovers Group in Austin, it's great to have you hopping on with us too? She's been a really wonderful supporter of the show. The fact that I have to say the show makes me feel a little strange, but not not Jimmy Fallon like. At least I haven't gone that that far. Thank God. But inspiration, right? This is something that is so often sought and so often achieved from an external place. For me, sometimes movies inspire me. Sometimes music does, but more more often than not, it's people. So knowing that. All of us together are finding it difficult to find external sources of inspiration. How do you stay motivated? How do you stay focused on what might be next, what you want to achieve next? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I think that that begs the question of how much are we pursuing these goals based on something about our peer group versus some sort mm-hmm. of an internal um kurt cobain huh all right weird kurt cobain. no cobain so if you cut your hair you'll have bangs got it very clever uh, that's i mean i think that's pretty good or yeah. kurt cobain where you wield a gun all the time either way these are right. great options more, more kurt cobain for your buck um, <laughs> Yeah, no, um, but yeah, no, I think, you know, how much, how much of what you're doing is, is seeking appeal to your peer group versus how much is something that deeply drives and motivates you, uh, to, you know, to get out there and do those things. And for, I guess on my end, I, it's, it's kind of like, I think the process of growing through your own bar career and everyone has their own journey and their own path on this, that, Mm -hmm. You know, I remember getting into the into this part earlier, and I just wanted so badly to make cocktails for everybody, and I wanted everybody to ask me to, to, to challenge to challenge myself and to to always push my boundaries. And then after a while, it kind of just stopped. You know, and it took a while. It worked. It took making, you know, working in a place like Jackalope uh, and firehousing. This kind of realizing I didn't actually give a shit. Like I mm-hmm. didn't feel like I needed to prove anything. I didn't care. I was like, "What the fuck do you want to drink, man? They make you." If, let me make you the drink, whatever you want. Like I'll happily do that. So then it became more about my time spent transacting with my guests than it did the actual drink that they want, you know? Um, right. So in that sense, I feel like that sense of external motivation is kind of a moot point um, because it's not about being challenged from an external point of view anymore. It's much more about myself. It's like uh, making, making myself be more disciplined about sitting down and, going through the whole bar smarts program um, since uh, Fernando Ricard has offered that up is a free uh, resource that we can all use. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just make myself do that. And that's, that has nothing to do with anybody else. That's just myself. Um, and it's the challenge of making myself 
sit still in this chair that I'm sitting in right now and be on my laptop and read and take notes and be thorough and meticulous and not skim. And again, that's just all internal motivation about like improving myself for myself. Yeah. Understood. And I think that's a great, it's a great point and it's a great opportunity for any of us to learn something new, to do something different, to talk about things in a different way. And I'm excited to see what stems from that, what we create in this period. You know, the Renaissance came from a particular time and place and potentially we'll see that coming after all of this stuff. So the last two questions for you, the first of the the two is I know that you, you're living with your girlfriend or your partner. I prefer partner, frankly. How has that been? Close proximity, easier to cause friction. As you know, as a caveman starting fires in the living room, all you do is rub two sticks together and apparently you get a spark. So how, how are things going? Go after that, yes. Um, That's right. <laughs> uh, it, you know, um, I mean, to her credit as a human, Aubrey's a pretty easygoing person. Uh, she mm-hmm. is, uh, she lets, she just is willing to let a lot of shit be, which is something that I try to take away from uh, being with her. Um, yeah. You know, there's obviously challenges to it. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's like having your moods and cycles be on and off, like having somebody be like, we've had our days where this whole situation got the best of us. Sure. And like, she had a crash day and I was like motivated and wanted to do things. And, and that was challenging for me because I kind of wanted to help pick her up. But like at the same time, I could tell it was just going to be a thing that took time and kind of mm-hmm. vice versa. Um, and realistically, I would think that that's kind of a pretty idyllic situation for, you know, to have with your partner that they can respect each other's space in that sense, but also try and lift each other up, but read it when the person needs space. Yeah. Um, we eat pretty much every meal together which I've always felt that was something that lacked in our life um, as both working in the service industry with her working in restaurants, she has different hours than I do. So it's kind of nice. It's kind of a privilege that we get to, get to share this many meals because um, that's, a, that's a huge social aspect for human beings in general. Sure. Uh, it's one of the last vestiges of culture in which you have to be there in per- person, right? So Yeah. And you can watch a movie on your phone, listen to music, but you certainly cannot have dinner on your phone. Yeah. And, you know, to, to double down and get a little more real on it, like, she and I definitely hit, like, a weird juncture where there was some other shit that had been kind of backed up in our personal lives that we hadn't wanted to or been able to talk about. And because yeah. it kind of came to a head because of our proximity, it, it, it forced the issue, you know? And mm-hmm. there was a day of... I just checked it back here and shut off communication. And the next day it was like, Hey, let's, let's talk about this, you know? Um, and I think that's kind of, kind of a benefit of this whole scenario. Like if we're both running around our daily lives, we may not have ever addressed that, you know? Sure. You might've just let it washed on by, which I think is a really interesting thing to address things head, head on. I got to say real quick, cause I'm on camera. Like I'm trying to, I got an itch on my nose, but I'm not supposed to touch my face. Right. So I'm going to go like this. With the veladora that helped that was good that was definitely good so antonio the last <laughs> the last question for you if all this didn't happen and you weren't a bartender what would be the occupation what would be the job that you'd want if you would never entered 
this industry? Ideal um, job. The ideal job? Yeah. Um, man. <laughs> Megan Sparks just joined while you're thinking. I'm going to buy you some time here, Antonio. Thank you for laughing, thinking about all the people who are watching and what I imagine their answers would be. Um, I mean, you know, the thing that I set out to be when I was in my 20s uh, was to be a rock star, you know? Yeah. Um, it was funny. I never met younger, more naive me. Definitely wanted, like, the big spotlight. But then I think about those, the higher, the higher up and the lower level bands. So bands that have full careers out of making music. Mm. Uh, somebody like Mogwai who I think make incredible music and they have so many different avenues by which they do that and they achieve that, but they can be relatively unknown. They can go to their they can go to a pub and nobody's going to call them out for it. They're, mm. they're not getting mobbed constantly. That was kind of where I wanted to be ideally um, in, in that, in that, in that land. That, that, that was, that was what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a, wanted to be a rock star, you know? It's like being Mick Mars. No one knows. Mick Mars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that dude was ugly. But he's the soul. It was brutal, man. Was, the dude was just a weird-looking motherfucker. He looked like an alien. And, like, yeah, I, I personally think I love his face. I think he's so interesting-looking. And, you know, he's also, oh, sure. also the creative force behind that band without Yeah, him. man. But he can, go to, he can go to HEB. If yeah. he wanted. Not He's in L.A., probably. But he could go to HEB and no one give him shit. Yeah, 100%. Uh, Not a bad place to be. Yeah, all the money, all the success, all the fame, uh, yeah. everything else goes along with it, and none of the daily hassle of it, you know? Um, Having the cake and eating it, too. Well, it's been a pleasure getting to sit down in this time, in this strange, strange time. And For sure. some agave uh, with you. What you got? interject one thing real quick, too? Um, of course. Since uh, I, I do think it's, you know, there, there have been a lot of shifts in how these things, how, how everything operates. Um you know, you've got a lot of places that serve food that are struggling, but they're doing to-go orders and things of that sort for people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you've got all these brands that had these budgets set aside, and obviously their allocated money has, you know, they've, they've had to shrink those budgets because their income's obviously drastically dwindled. Um, Off-premise sales have skyrocketed. Right. Um, but it's cool to see what a lot of them have done. Um, I can name a few, you know, I know that Anna from Ricard has definitely reached out a few times. Um, you know, Rashid has hooked some people up and, you know, with, uh, with Beams and Tori and you've got some other brands that what they've been doing is they've been buying, uh, people in the service industry who are now out of work. Uh, they've been buying people meals. And so what they do is they call up these places and they go, Hey, here's my credit card. I'm going to do this amount of order. And you go and you pick up. And yeah. so it's cool because it's nice for them. It's, it's nice that they're able to like help feed those of us who are out of work right now who don't know where our next paycheck's coming from, don't know where our next meal's coming from. Um, and it's also great because they are helping to put their money into those places that they would be doing so through whatever they're doing. Because, you know, they're doing this for their accounts, obviously. Um, yeah. And a lot of places, you know, we went and picked up a bunch of groceries from Olive in June the other day. Uh, Cavalier was giving away some free meals the other day, so we went down there and got some food and... You know, and I think that's really, really cool. Uh, you know, I've been sitting here sipping on an Austin East Cider because uh, until the, I think it's the, the fifth of this month, they're giving away a six-pack to anybody who works in the service industry. And I think it's really cool to see things like that where you have these companies that, you know, they're in binds too, you know. Uh, 
Oh, credit, I, card, yeah, I credit card has a lot of money, but yo, they took a hit. They did. They absolutely did. You know, not having mm-hmm. the on-premise aspect of people making cocktails with their with their beverages and selling their stuff, like that's hard. And they're still, you know, they, they've donated money towards, you know, these companies have donated money towards like USBG uh, scholarship funds and that sort of thing. But it's also great the way that they can do this by putting money into their accounts to help try to keep them alive through this really, really difficult time. And I think it's absolutely, man, really praiseworthy. Absolutely. And I appreciate all those brands for doing that for all of us. We're, we're all adapting. We're all trying to connect. And even Liz Forsyth killing a bottle of Mazonte 2018. So that's good, you know, with us. And we <laughs> bringing everyone together. All I can say is, you know, thanks so much for taking the time out. Obviously, we'll reconnect in a more interpersonal way once everything kind of washes over. But I think that people need this. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't want to be presumptuous about what people need. But you and I talking, shooting the shit, drinking mezcal, I think that that's vastly important right now. And it's the only thing I really know how to do. It's <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's question. So <laughs> that's where it's going to go. So, Antonio, thanks so much for joining me. I'll see you soon, man. Good, and I'll good talk to you. chat with you face to face, I guess. Yeah. Well, face, face on face. Because I'm on top of you. Oh, is that weird? Yeah. yeah. Put your face on my face. Yeah. <laughs> weird. Thanks, man. Have a good night. See you, bud. I'll talk, talk to you. So thanks, everybody, for watching and listening to Show to V with Mike G. You know, it's great sitting and chatting with Antonio. Lots of things we learned about each other. Lots of things that I didn't realize about him. And I'm sure a longer, more in-depth ap- episode about his life is probably due. Thank you so much, people that have hopped on. Simon, Anna. Liz, so many people in this very, very close community. So it's been a pleasure and I hope to see you soon. So no matter if you're watching Community because it just dropped on Netflix, if you're thinking, I'm not really sure what the next movie I might see in the theater is, please keep 